It's creating a requirement for um, marketing leadership. So CMOs, VP marketing, like head of uh, marketing ops to start putting together a data strategy, right? It's really critical that companies start thinking about if we have all of this data available, how do we actually build, you know, the trifecta of people, process, product? Like how do we have an infrastructure and people who are able to extract value from that data and make it operational? Hey everyone, George Soto here, and you're watching the Product-Led Revenue Show. Today, I'm joined by Francis Berro, who is co-founder and CPO at Mad Kudu. Uh, how are you, Francis? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. And I know we were talking a bit about uh, some of the folks on your team earlier, and I just uh, love Nick. Of course, we work together at Twitter, so shout out to Nick. Um, why don't you take a quick second to tell us a little bit about your background and really what inspired you to launch uh, Mad Kudu? Yeah, absolutely. So um, actually, so I came to the U.S. Um, about 12 years ago after graduating with a degree in um, applied mathematics and um, going to the uh, discovering kind of the Silicon Valley through uh, the Stanford D School. So it was kind of my first exposure really to um, product management, design and thinking about um, yeah, how to build products for, uh, for people, uh, coming from more like a, you know, hard science background. And when, um, came to the U S I joined a company called agile one, and we, um, really created the, uh, kind of the CDP categories. So we're actually working with all the analysts to create this new category. And one of the things that was really interesting is that, um, we had a, a CMO who moved on to another company and, after they had moved to that company, that was actually one of the like first PLG companies. He reached back out to, um, to me and my co-founder saying that he was looking to hire a data scientist and he wanted our help to help him figure out like, you know, if this was a good candidate or not. And what was really interesting was to see that there was something happening in the market where marketers were starting to look at hiring data scientists to be able to mine like product data and figure out like how to empower their um, go-to-market initiatives by using all the data they had. And I came to realize also that, you know, as a CMO, unfortunately, it was like incredibly hard for him to understand like what makes a good data scientist and how to even hire a data scientist. And that's when I started realizing that there was a huge opportunity to um, help marketers out there better leverage data and essentially try um, to do whatever they wanted to do with a data scientist without having to hire one, because I, I don't think it is the right idea for, you know, any company to, to hire a data scientist on something that's not core to the product. I think if you're like an insurance company, um, data science is core to the actual product that you sell. It makes sense to have data scientists working on that. I think having data scientists working on go-to-market initiatives is generally not the best thing. Like it's really hard to find very good data scientists who want to work on that because it's not as pure and necessarily hard as like, like real hardcore data science. So really, yeah, that's kind of what led us to start Math Kudu and figuring out how do we democratize access to data science without companies having to hire data scientists on their go-to-market side. Yeah. And I think this also is in line with this sort of movement around no code, right? Kind of thing where it's just really easy for any stakeholder to be able to access this data or build things. And 
uh, you know, that, that make business impactful. Well, you know, there's been this organization that has seemed to uh, emerge the last couple of years. And, you know, we're talking about the, I guess, modern revenue operations function. How would you define this role, you know, where it sits within the organization? And I know you talked a little bit about the impact of data, but maybe just generally the impact of this function. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really interesting function, and I think it's um, it's a function you know ultimately that has existed for uh, for quite some time. It, it's carried multiple different names. I think it's just like Silicon Valley is, uh, I think, to some extent, really great at reinventing things that already exist, right? Like if we think of twenty twenty one yeah, or SPACs, right? Like last yeah. year, everyone was talking about SPACs and like, oh my god, SPACs started a new thing, and it's been going on for like ten, I mean, decades. But all of a sudden, there's this hype on the in, in Silicon Valley, and I think the, you know, RevOps function ultimately, I think it's you know it's it has it's a function that serves the goal of aligning the organization through you know strategy, process, data analysis, technology, and and it's really a function that is um, meant to support the uh, the whole organization. So what's interesting is that I've seen organizations where you know, that function would report up to um, more of a CFO style role, where it's really that kind of strategy and alignment, uh, independent kind of alignment across sales, marketing, CS, um, everything that's like revenue facing. So it doesn't report to COO, um, but more to a, to a CFO. But I think typically, I think the more traditional um, way I see this is reporting either to a CRO, if there is one, or to a CMO. So whoever really owns kind of the um, the customer journey end-to-end is typically um, kind of the C-level that's going to have this uh, uh, modern kind of RevOps function uh, roll into. And yeah. I know you were mentioning from, a, I mean, from a, an impact perspective, I think there, there's something that is a little bit tricky about this, of how you measure the impact of of such a team because it is very, very horizontal. Um, I think there's some kind of baseline metrics that you can look at. And uh, one of them is trying to determine how do you measure alignment within an organization? It's something that almost feels intangible. Um, I know Thomas Tongus from uh, Redpoint has one of his blog articles that was about this, where he was saying like one of the most basic ways of looking at alignment between sales and marketing is looking at if you're marketing pipeline increases, does your uh, close one um, amount increase in the same manner? And if one if one of them increases in a manner that is different from the other, then you know you have a misalignment, right? Because you can't just be creating pipeline and not seeing that convert to revenue, then that pipeline is no longer as uh, rich and valuable as what it might have been in the past. Or on the flip side, if your pipeline is um, you know, uh, staying flat and revenue is going up. That's great, but it potentially means that there's there's something going on in there. So, I thought that's it was a very interesting approach and very visual um, to thinking about uh, alignment within those organizations. And it's trying to to quantify it beyond kind of the uh, qualitative approach of just asking people like, you know, do you think the MQLs are a good quality? Do you think the leads you're getting are mm. you're getting are a good quality? And just like getting that intangible. So I think alignment is really the uh, like the big metric that I would use to, to measure the impact of that team. Well, this also seems to align very well with this idea that or the, the functions uh, across the revenue team, hence the, the growth of the, or the explosion, I should say, of the CRO, right? And these revenue teams now um, that, you know, you have this, 
this the alignment needed now between sales and marketing and CS. And I think it's really, I don't know. I mean, my opinion is that it feels like it's very much because we have now cloud systems that power each organization and they now very much talk to each other, right? And so we need to know and you know what's going on, uh, going on across this the entire uh, you know, revenue organization and certainly uh, tying these functions together. And I think that that's sort of a segue into my next question is like, you know, what's the difference now? And, and I know that there are some clear differences, but I think there's probably what I've observed is some gray areas between sales ops and marketing ops and revenue ops and, you know, who do you hire first and, and who does what, right? Because especially in PLG, we, you know, of course we talk a lot about product like growth here. It's like, well, these PQLs and uh, you know, what is, what data is informing these product qualified leads and how do you actually start to mesh that with other data sources, right? Do we get rid of the MQL? You know, those sort of things. And I, my answer is no, I think there's, there's a world for, for everything. And, and, you know, it's just really about revamping uh, the strategy to understand what is relevant when, but yeah, I guess back to my initial question is what is the difference between these organizations and, and how do they sort of align now underneath this revenue umbrella? Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting because a lot of it is um, if you want to say it negatively, a, a lot of it is posturing, uh, but if you want to say it differently, a lot of it is branding, right? Uh, I think when we look at, um, old, like mark, you know, market marketing ops, um, sales ops, rev ops. Ultimately, it's kind of the similar function, right, in terms of of what they do and that alignment through data analysis, technology, all, all stuff we were talking about. But um, what's interesting is that when you coin it as um, marketing operations, you tend to, um, from branding perspective, like focus on a specific part of the funnel versus sales ops, which is going to be another part of the funnel, and then revenue ops, which is a little bit more. Um, across the entire funnel, even though the truth of the matter is when we look at, you know, marketing ops at a lot of PLG companies, what they're really doing is revenue ops because they are impacting, um, you know, operations through the entire uh, life cycle. So I would say you need a bit of everything. I think if if I were uh, a marketing ops out there, um, I think it's, you have to be careful on how you brand yourself. Like marketing ops is turning um, to be perceived more and more as a Marketo admin uh, style of position rather than a more strategic uh, partner in the go-to-market organization that RevOps, I think, is, is positioning itself like better uh, also because it's new. And sales ops really very much sounds like, oh, you're a Salesforce admin and you're basically just building like workflows in, uh, in Salesforce. Um, and ultimately, there, there's a need for all of this. And yes, there is a need for a Salesforce admin. There is a need for a Marketo admin. Um, I think I, I would be careful in uh, making sure we don't label like Marketo admins as uh, marketing ops because those are very different. Like building stuff in, in Marketo is very different from designing a process to create a frictionless um, customer journey, which is really that, uh, that role of the, the revenue ops team. And when it comes to PLG, I think the, the part that makes it easier to brand yourself as, as RevOps is that we know today a lot of the kind of historical tech stack, you know, like Marketo, HubSpot, Eloqua, from a like marketing automation platform perspective, are not designed inherently to work well with product data. So the sheer volume of it makes it almost impossible to pipe everything into Marketo and have workflows be built on top of that. So that's kind of 
it makes it easier to brand yourself as revenue ops because now you're going to have to interact with different tools that actually allow you to deal with that that volume of information that's coming that's being generated by um, your users. Yeah, well, I think that the this operations stakeholder, this marketing operations stakeholder, for ex, you know, for example, is more important than ever. So, to your point, like, don't get you know f- uh, sort of boxed into this Marketo admin or HubSpot admin or et cetera, because like literally that data is going to inform your PLG strategy uh, from, from its perspective, of course. I know for us, our head of, essentially our head of uh, marketing operations, he does much more than that, but he owns marketing operations here, is literally the individual who is uh, in charge of, um, of really figuring out uh, our PLG motion on the outside of product and then works very closely with the, with the product stakeholder, that PM who, who runs our, our free PLG product. So it makes total sense to me. And, you know, speaking of PLG, what's your view on it right now? Like, why is it so hot? Like, it seems that again, you know, VCs in Silicon Valley, we tend to sort of, uh, reinvent things or, 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 or create categories, but you know, this is not a new thing, right? Like there's been free versions and product led versions of stuff or, or for, for a very long time. I mean, MailChimp, et cetera. Right. But why is this such a hot topic right now? And then more importantly, as it relates to this conversation, like how does that actually impact revenue slash marketing ops? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. And I think there's, there's many, many reasons for this to be happening. I mean, one of them at a more, uh, I guess, like fundamental level that's been happening for um, probably like the last 10 years and, and has accelerated with COVID is the consumerization of B2B. If we look at how people approach purchasing um, B2B products, it's becoming closer and closer to the way people purchase like B2C products. And, you know, like this whole confinement era of us working from home has, you know, blurred the lines even further from like what is actual like work life and what is life life. Um, so I think people want to, you know, buy products uh, for their company the way they buy products somewhere else, right? like trying software, evaluating things and just being able to, to play around with it. So I think there's an inherent um, desire from the buyer to actually be able to, to test things. And I think then from uh purely like an organizational standpoint, like you were talking about like, you know, MQLs, PQLs, and, and how to think about this. I think the, um, what's really critical is that companies don't have a myopic focus on, on one funnel, right? If you think of how successful companies are driving go-to-market, they have multiple funnels, right? So uh, like a company like Miro, for example, they're going to have people who do demo requests, right? That's a clear MQL. Someone raises their hand or a good fit. Okay push them to sales, close an enterprise deal and move on. And then you're going to have people that are more PQLs. They might be like prosumers, like they're going to pay for one or two licenses and you want them to go through the product, uh, engage, get value from that, and then swipe the credit card. And then you're going to have larger accounts where you want to drive adoption within the account, get people to use it, invite more people, like get value, potentially swipe a credit card for a couple hundred dollars a month. Then at some point you want to promote that to um, an enterprise rep to go and see if there's like more potential within that account. And you're still going to have your traditional kind of ABM or like enterprise selling where, you know, like a bank is not just going to adopt um, a, a tool like this because it's such a, um, you know, 
complex procurement process. Like they just, they can't allow just people to go and sign up for a bunch of tools here and there and just like hope that no data is going to leak anywhere. Yeah. So, so there's still that value for that kind of like traditional, more traditional kind of enterprise sales. So I think ultimately there's successful companies have managed to get value from all these funnels and essentially align those funnels with how people want to buy. Like a bank typically doesn't want to buy through PLG. They probably will want to buy through a more enterprise sales motion. And so I think what's interesting there is that PLG also is becoming for a lot of CMOs, the new um, kind of funnel that they can open up to generate more traction. It's kind of the new thing that you can build. I think ABM was somewhat similar to like the past, like maybe like five years where you started hearing about all these companies because CMOs were looking for what is the new way for me to generate pipeline? I think from a demand gen perspective, we're at a point where it's really, really hard to compete on those channels. Like, like the cost of acquisition has increased pretty much over everyone is in a bidding war on the demand gen on the digital channels. So now it's like, what else could I do to actually generate high quality leads at a price that's not going to kill um, my business and ABM became this one thing where because like this huge topic of like oh there's like shadow intent and we're gonna go and find people I think we're like close to the end of that hype where people are realizing well yeah it, it takes us a little bit further but not necessarily far enough and now there's a new wave or of how do I actually capture the intent out there by making it easier for people to interact with me uh, by actually using my product whenever they're uh, ready to and so I think it's it's a combination of all these factors of the market, like some part of the market wanting to buy some way and um, companies looking for uh, new funnels and new ways of driving acquisition uh, at a uh, lower cost. Now, speaking of data, how has the sheer volume of information or data available today impacted this marketing operations function? You know, given that you still have the uh, version of intent data that the traditional marketing automation systems uh, have given us, you know, and we're not, we're suggesting, I think what, what you're, you're sort of agreeing with me here that we're not talking about throwing that away or getting focused only on one funnel, right? But but leveraging all of them as they relate to your business model. So, you know, you have now an, an additional explosion of, uh, of data now, even uh, pulling in the, the product stuff, right? So how does that actually impact that uh, marketing uh, operations function? Yeah, I think in many ways. And at the highest level, I think it, it's creating a requirement for um, marketing leadership, so CMOs, VP marketing, like head of uh, marketing ops to start putting together a data strategy, right? It's really critical that companies start thinking about if we have all of this data available, how do we actually build, you know, the trifecta of people, process, product? Like how do we have an infrastructure and people who are able to extract value from that data and make it operational, right? So it's one thing to have data living in a data warehouse. It's another to have insights extracted from that data warehouse propagated to Salesforce in order for the reps to be able to leverage that. Um, and, and that challenge is one of the main reasons why we built MathCuterate because one way of doing that is like hiring an engineering team to live within the go-to-market team to actually build those pipelines. But again, I, I don't think that's the right way to do it because those engineers very quickly will get reallocated to engineering <laughs> and like building the product. And then you're kind of left with um, yeah, like you're the bag in your hand. You're like, yeah. okay, like there's no way to edit any of this. So 
there's definitely a need to figure out like what tooling to bring in place so that your existing team can actually um, you know, execute against the strategy that you've designed. Um, so that's one very at the, the highest level, I think like really having uh, CMOs and CROs own a data strategy, which kind of seems weird, but they really have to start thinking about that. I love that following. That's awesome. And yeah, it's, but it, it is like a very different mindset, right? Because people tend to think, oh, data strategy, that's either like a, a CDO or like the CTO's responsibility. But um, ultimately the, the marketers that I see, you know, becoming the most successful in the next few years are the ones who have realized that, you know, we evolved from the the brand CMO era of like the mad men and like advertising with like beautiful billboards to the demand gen CMOs of like understanding how to do attribution, how to maximize against channels to now the see the data driven CMO that's able to understand how do I extract value from all these different data points that I have and how do I build a strategy around that to go faster than my competition because I have better visibility on what's going on. So I think that's really the future of of CMOs for at least like probably a decade or so. And then on the, I guess, like more operational side, one of the big challenges is when you think about the uh, tools that you bring in, you need to have tools that actually scale to the volume of product data. So unfortunately tools like, again, like Marketo, HubSpot really, really struggle. And that's why, you know, I think I tend to say like to challenge people, like think of Snowflake as the new CRM right? Like the true place where all your customer data is going to live is like Snowflake or some data warehouse instance, right? But think of it as like Snowflake is a new CRM. If that is true, what do we need to be able to run our go-to-market motions? And so that's where we're seeing like the emergence of tools like Census and HighTouch that allow like a biz ops team to move data from the warehouse into, um, into Salesforce without necessarily that much intelligence. And then a DBT to like be able to, to modify the data, but that's still like fairly code heavy, um, which is where kind of Mad Kudu plays in of saying, well, if you want your more traditional marketing ops team to be able to manipulate that data and make it available to reps and marketers to uh, run motions, that's where you need kind of a no-code interface that sits on top of um, this new CRM that is Snowflake in order to propagate um, insights and information into your systems of execution your marketing automation platform, your ad platform, your CRM, so on and so forth. So really there's like, I think a new wave of tool that's coming. So we're kind of the third wave of software, like Oracle on-premise first wave, then Salesforce kind of in the cloud. And now the third wave is going to be um, data warehouse uh, centered kind of stack. Like now it's not just the cloud. It's like, there is like one place where all the data is flowing in and then you need like an array of tools that are going to be sitting on top of, and you need something that allows you to, com- to um, create that communication between the two layers. Francis, this is awesome. Just one last question here. What's one piece of actionable advice that you would give CROs around, you know, just really optimizing their revenue operations efforts today. So one thing that they can listen to and say, I'm going to go ahead and implement this. Yeah, I think the the most basic part is really thinking of documenting their their funnels today. Like if you have a funnel, like people request demos, it's like pretty easy. If you have a funnel of PQLs, literally like you're selling to leads, not to accounts, like then document what that looks like. Um, same thing for PQAs, like when accounts are engaged, what are you doing there? And then kind of MQAs, like the more ABM side documenting that. So putting that on paper and being able to say, okay, 
within each of these funnels, these are the different milestones that we want to be able to identify. These are the things that we want to filter out. And just like starting to lay the kind of the groundwork of like, this is what our funnels look like for our customers. This is what we need to be able to identify. This is the data that we need to be able to identify this. And this is how we actually make it happen. So really, I think starting with like, putting what the end result should look like from a, um, I guess, like functional perspective or operational perspective, and then starting to document a plan on how to get there, I think is really critical. And that will help identify like how actionable your data is today. So we have this concept of telling like CMOs, if they want a data strategy, they have to think of what is their data actionability and making sure that all the data you have is actually actionable and helping uh, promote these go-to-market motions because data that lives in Snowflake and is not usable is as good as not being there, right? Uh, so that would be like my real like first piece of advice is really like start thinking like start putting that data strategy together, and it doesn't have to be more complicated than just documenting what you need to be able to run uh, your different motions. Awesome, Francis. Thank you so so much for your time today. I know you got to run, but if folks want to follow you on social media or maybe you know, learn more about your strategies, uh, what are some good URLs or you know, social handles to, uh, to reach you? Yeah, typically I'm pretty active on uh, LinkedIn more than I am on, on Twitter, but they can also uh, reach out to me uh, on Twitter. I do post some stuff from, uh, from time to time and like more broader interests on, on, on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, LinkedIn is a, good, uh, is a good place to start. And of course, um, I still try to write a lot on our blog. So the, the blog on madcrew.com is, um, I think, a good place to start. Awesome. Well, have a wonderful day and thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me.